We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. How's everyone today? Blessed, good, amen, rested, rejuvenated, ready to go. All right, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Somehow my Bible opened up to 1 Corinthians. Maybe we need to go back there again. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, working out the grace of God. Working out the grace of God. In, in many circles, I think many times we, we throw around the word grace. Grace be with you, amazing grace. We sang that song uh, that God has given us this favor. Uh, and, and so we use grace in so many different ways. And I've tried to explain it like this. God is a just God. God is a merciful God. And because of his justice, he demands, uh, he demands to be uh, heard and he demands to righteousness. And we can't give them righteousness on our own. So because of unrighteousness, what God does is he establishes and he executes what's called justice. And justice was unleashed on the cross of, uh, on Jesus Christ for our sin. And so justice is the penalty being paid. And as the penalty is being paid, justice is being served. And those of us that fall underneath the cross and underneath the blood of Jesus Christ we receive that righteousness and the justice is passed over because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's been a picture from the very beginning. The, the angel of death passed over the homes that had the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorposts. And also we have mercy. Mercy is given to all of us. Uh, mercy is not getting what we deserve. In other words, there's times that we, sh we deserve certain things and God just holds it back and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you the justice that, is, is you, that you rightfully deserve. But grace, grace is amazing because it's God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. But not only that, he gives us uh, that which we do not deserve. We don't deserve uh, his love. We don't deserve his salvation. Every one of us, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, in his amazing grace, bestowed it upon his believers, those redeemed. He gives it to them, and he gives it to them not by our works, not, that, not by what we can do, for it's not by what I do so that I can boast. It's about what God himself has done. And so grace is amazing because he gives it to us. Now that's saving grace. But God also gives us what's called a common grace, a common grace that the whole world is able to receive. And rightly so, if, if I'm a sinner and I don't deserve his favor, his grace, and, and I, I thank God that he's given it to me, then therefore everyone else, the whole world itself, also receives his grace, even though we may not deserve it. Or I shouldn't say may, we don't. But God is holding back. God is waiting patiently. God is doing something beyond our understanding. And, and this grace that we have Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them, I don't want you to take God's 
grace in vain. As a matter of fact, I, I want you to do something with that grace. I, I want you to, to put it into practice. I want you to work alongside with me, Paul says, because of what was expressed on the cross. And, and we take God's grace a lot of times for granted. We take God's grace in vain. We take God's grace and we think, well, you know, nothing's happened to me so far, and by God's amazing grace, I am what I am, and here's what I'm doing, and I'm going to continue with my life. But God expects us to work with Him and through Him with this amazing grace. And that's kind of the, the picture of what Paul is sharing with us in chapters 6, 1 through 13. We had just talked about being uh, agents or ambassadors of reconciliation, that God has made us new. The old is gone, the new has come. We have just gone through how God has reconciled us so that we can be used as agents of reconciliation, that we can be also those reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God's entrusted it to you. He's entrusted it to me, this message of reconciliation. And that is an awesome message. And, and so Paul goes on uh, in verses 6 through 13, uh, six, chap, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, and I'm going to read that, lead us in the word of prayer, then go back and unpack this for us today. But in chapter 6, out of the English Standard Version, it says this, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Psalms 116.10 Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacles in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, uh, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. We are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Father in heaven, I pray that you lead us this, uh, this morning in all things. I pray, God, that you give us direction through your word for our life and what it is that we are to do. Help us not to take this amazing grace in vain and understand the labor the work that needs to be done through this church, through each individual. And Lord, we just pray that you lead us in all things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Number one, in order to understand or work out the grace of God, in order to be able to work that through my life and our life and your life, in order to be able to, to walk that through, we, we can't just say, okay, well, I'm a believer and I go to church and, and that should be sufficient. As you probably know, 
the church has been under attack even more so in the United States than it ever has been before. Now, we haven't yet actually experienced the physical persecution that a lot of churches have experienced throughout the nations and throughout the world. Uh, we haven't experienced the actual shutdown of churches, though many people think that this pandemic has caused that in many ways. We haven't really experienced the, uh, the, 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 the suffering that many other churches throughout the world have gone through, death, persecution, imprisonment. But, beloved, it's borderline. We're there. And if you've been keeping up with a lot of these churches that have opened up, one in Van Nuys that uh, they had protesters outside and people were telling them, you're selfish, you're whatever the case may be. And you probably heard of another church in, in L.A. that also was threatened, the pastor was threatened of being thrown in prison or jail, uh, fined and uh, given a restraining order and, and the church shut down. But right at the last minute, God came through and, and opened up and said they can meet. They can meet and they can not only just meet, they can also sing. And as if we need the governor to give us permission to sing. And I don't know exactly where all of this is. Well, I know where it's all leading to, but I don't know exactly where it's all leading for you as, as a member. But every one of you, this message today, I believe, needs to be heard. Do not take the grace of our God in vain. And Paul says, working together with him then, we appeal to you, we beg you, we, we want to make this urgent request, we want you to know that this is not what, who we are. You have been given this mission, you have been given, it has been given to you. You, and Paul is saying, we implore you on behalf of Christ in the previous verse, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. And Paul explained the whole process of, of how Jesus Christ, a perfect individual, became sin, how he died on the cross, everything that he went through for us. And then he goes, so, so don't take God's grace in vain. Do something with that. As a matter of fact, he says, working together, co-laborers, some of your translations would say that, co-workers, we work right alongside him. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use this church. He wants to use every individual that has been called by his name to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's who we are. That's what we should be. We should be trained. We should be uh, knowledgeable on what the grace of God is. And God's grace God's grace, though we say it, though we sing it, though we understand it, or so we say we do, we don't fully comprehend the grace of God. And that's one thing that we have to really get our, our minds around and understand. God's grace, His love for us. And in, in knowing that I deserved nothing less, but I deserved a whole lot more of justice because of the things that I've done. When I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I understood, I understood that it was beyond me to get saved. As a matter of fact, I, I, didn't, I already knew that it was, it was too late. Pastor says, no. <laughs> Let me tell you about God's grace. But pastor, I says, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've seen. I mean, it's just, you just don't understand. And he says, no, but God does. And he shared what Jesus Christ endured on the cross. Now, when I heard that message over 30 years ago, I, I said, whatever it takes, I want to be able to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done on the cross for me. And that's been my journey from the very beginning. And I'm still a student in understanding what that grace fully means in my life. Paul says, I don't want you to take this grace in vain. I, I want you to understand and receive the grace 
And then he goes to Psalms 116. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So number one, I need to understand the grace of God. I need to understand this amazing grace, that it's not by works, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. Great, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And, and it's understandable in this time for a lot of people just to say, you know, I, I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to get, you know, we don't want to talk about politics because I don't want to hear what you have to say, and you don't want to know where I stand, and all it's going to do is cause a division. Let's just, you know, let's keep it neutral. But the moment you say that, most people already have assumed where you stand, because if you're talking about politics, you're either very bold or you're very meek or mild and, and not wanting to talk about it. And it just seems like one side is very bold and more bold than the other. And depending on where you stand and the, the catchphrases that you use, it does stir up a lot of anger. The same thing with Christianity now. A lot of people don't want to get too involved or too out in front. I might get in trouble. We might get our church taken away. We might, whatever may happen. But God is saying, this is the day of salvation. Right now, do not harden your hearts. Do not just put it to aside. You need to work out this grace that God has given us. You need to work out this grace. This grace has got to be give, given not only to us, but to others. He says, behold, now is the day of salvation. And, and, and so this grace, we need to understand. In order to work out the grace of God, I need to understand the grace of God. I need to understand what it is that he wants me to do with it. Number two, I need to understand the endurance of the Holy Spirit. I need to understand the endurance of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, we put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. You want to know what, I, you want to know what God's made out of? You want to know what this grace is all about? You want to know? I, I can give you letters. Paul says, I, I can give you all kinds of recommendations, but here is my recommendation. You know the stuff that I've been through. The endurance that I've been able just to go through. You know what I have gone through. You know the, the endurance that, that great endurance, and he goes on to say in the rest of that verse, in afflictions and hardships and calamities, and these things are external, these things that are done to him in afflictions and hardships and calamities. Paul is saying he doesn't expound on that, but we have heard from various other chapters and parts of Scripture how he has gone through these things. But then he says, there's some things that I've taken upon myself, uh, beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Excuse me, that's still from the outside. Things that have happened to him, imprisonments, and riots, and, and riots that he himself has not only caused, or he didn't actually cause, but it was a result of the message that people didn't want to here. And, and it's that, that grace that he's been working out in his life. And then things that he's done himself, sleepless nights, hunger, all those things that labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. I've worked really hard, tirelessly. I stay up late at night. We talked about Eutychus. You remember Eutychus? Eutychus was a, a young man that was sitting up in the third floor of the house, and Paul had to preach that night. And he says, you know, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, so let me just continue to preach. And he continued to preach into the wee hours of the morning. He preached maybe six, eight hours, some people believe. And he just kept preaching and preaching. And poor Eutychus was up on a third balcony, and like some people do around here, he fell asleep. 
Unfortunately for him, he was on the third balcony, uh, third floor, and fell out of the window, and he died. Paul went up to him and resurrected him right there and then. It's those types of things that Paul says, I, I will go sleepless nights. I will do whatever it takes. I'll experience the hunger. I'll experience all those things. You've seen that, the sleepless nights, the hunger, and how hard I work to get the gospel out. Don't take the grace of God in vain. And then he goes on to say, not only, uh, well, he's, he's talking about all the things that, how he's endured. He's given us some example of how endurance works. And he talks to people in Rome, and he says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's difficult to rejoice in sufferings. It's difficult to rejoice when things aren't good. As a matter of fact, most of us don't. When, when we're suffering and going through bad times and things are not working the way we want them to, rejoice is not the word that I want to use. I want to say, why me? I want to say, God, can you get me out of this? Uh, you know, I want to say anything else, but I'm happy this is happening. I'm excited. I'm really just jazzed about what you're doing to me, God. But that was Paul's attitude. That was Paul's heart. Because he says this, you see, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You know that. You know that that happens, endurance. And, and endurance is one of the most, I, I think, one of the most magnificent New Testament virtues that we don't talk about now. We talk about praying people out of their misery. We talk about praying people out of their sicknesses. We talk about praying people out of their relationships that they're going through. We don't want them to go through this struggle and this problem and these trials and tribulations as those words are used in this endurance. A lot of times, endurance is used right alongside with tribulations, with struggles, with trials, and with hope. But this word endurance, is which... which bears up. We really don't have one English word to, to use endurance to make the meaning of the Greek word. And, what, and, and this word, no English word can fully express its rich meaning, which encompasses bearing up under hard labor, surviving the shock of battle, and remaining steadfast in the face of death. And a lot of times, as I said, it's used with words such as tribulation and faith and hope and joy. And Paul says, in order to receive all of that, you have to go through this. You have to stand in the midst of all these things. And I've shared this with you before, that when I pray for people and people ask me to pray for them, I usually pray, Lord, help them to endure. We don't pray about, and we don't talk about, and we don't preach about endurance. I always pray, God, help them to endure. Let, let, them, let your will be done in whatever you're doing in his life, in his family's life, in the doctor's life. Maybe the, the nurse's life. Somebody along the way, God, you're going to use him or her as an example of what it is that your grace can do in a person's life. And so endurance, it, it, it brings through, it, it helps us. It helps us to, to grow. It produces, uh, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And I know a lot of people say, well, I don't want a character. I want to be comfortable. I would rather be comfortable than have character. But God's purpose is more important. He's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. That's just the case. It was the case with the Apostle Paul. It was the case with Peter. It was the case with Jesus Christ himself. It's been the case with every God-fearing believer that God wants to grow to use that person to work alongside with him, co-laborers, 
and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to build your character because character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see what happens with sufferings? You can either endure it and rejoice that something good is going to come out of this or you can just take the opposite step, which is get discouraged. Get to, whoa, why is me? Poor little old me. I call it the plum syndrome. Poor little old me. Why is all this happening to me? Why, Lord, why? Discouragement leads to depression, and depression always leads to death. And depression can never get you to the point where God wants you to be. God uses depression, but God wants you to endure. God wants you to get through this portion of, of this season of life that we're in. God wants you to get through this mess to make a message. He wants to use all that is happening within us. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Get that. The joy that was set before him. When you look at the word passion in in Scripture, and you talk about how passionate people are, it makes this argument and this idea of of being so so just my whole heart is in it i want this i am so passionate for this uh this job this ministry this person but when you look at the word passion in the dictionary the passion always has the cross of jesus christ that was his passion and passion always points to the cross we've taken that word and perverted it and made it mean something else to us but for Jesus, that was his desire. That was his, that's what he endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Later on in Hebrews in chapter 10, it says, for you, have needed, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And what, what, when we do the word of God, and we continue to work out the will of God, and we continue to work with him, you will receive what is promised. Our problem is we see the right now. Our problem is we see all that's going on around us, in our homes, in our city, in our state, in our nation. We're looking for a deliverer. And many people are looking for a deliverer on November the 3rd. Many people are building their life on the elections. Many people, and, and what's going to happen? And I can promise you this, whether your side wins or not, it's still going to be bad. And as a matter of fact, it might even get worse. It doesn't even matter what side wins. And whatever side wins, Jesus Christ is still king, and we need to keep focused on him because things are going to get worse. It's prophesied. It's talked about. Paul says in verse 6, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love. And all these things, when you go through this perseverance and when you endure and all, this, all these things that are happening, well, well, you build up purity, you build up knowledge, you build up patience, kindness in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, by truthful speech in the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. What are these weapons? These weapons that are fashioned and formed 
that these weapons, they're not formed by the, the hands of man, but these weapons are weapons that can demolish strongholds. These weapons are the weapons that can demolish all these pretensions that set themselves up against the mind of Christ. And these weapons are right here. These weapons are right here. It's not a weapon of this world. It's a weapon of prayer and praise. Some people have said, well, it's the sword and the shield. Some people have said it's the right hand and the left hand. Some people have said, well, it's, it's, Paul constantly talks about this life that we're in as a battle, a spiritual battle. And he's always using these, uh, these pictures of war and weapons. Like you suit up and boot up in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. You put on the, 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 your boots, which are the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the sword and the shield, and you go forth and you battle it out. And Paul is always looking for ways of getting the message across that this is not Sunday school. Children, this is not Sunday school. This is real-life stuff. And we're getting to see just a little bit about what it's all about. We're getting to see how it's affecting the church, how it's affecting this nation, how it's affecting our families. And the more that we continue to move on in this world, all that stuff is going to just build up. The back of your outlines, number three, in order to understand the grace of God and work out the grace of God in my life, I need to understand the influence of Jesus. I need to understand the influence of Jesus. Paul says in verses 8 and 10, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. When Paul is talking to people, when he talks to the Jews, he talks about the Messiah. He talks about the Anointed One. He talks about the Christas. The anointed one that the Jews have been waiting for all these years. Jesus Christ just didn't fit their profile. That, that, that's not him. We're waiting for a King David on a white horse with the huge sword to establish. He's going to establish our kingdom. They're looking at world events. Jesus didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he died on a tree. And the Bible says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, who's hung outside on a cross. Is, how can that be our Messiah? Paul met Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He met Him face to face. Paul had a first-hand experience. So when he's talking to the Jewish people, he's proclaiming Jesus Christ was Jewish, born of a virgin. We know that. We know that He is called Emmanuel, God with us. We know that He was going to be the suffering servant, as Isaiah prophesied. And so Paul is theologically and, and, and physically, excuse me, and, and, and able to just argue the, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's fulfilled every step, and he resurrected. He conquered the death. So for a Jewish person, it, it didn't make sense. Many of them were converted, but for most Jews, it, it doesn't make sense. For the Gentiles, on the other hand, those of us that have an understanding of spiritual things, we come to recognize that all spiritual things point to Jesus Christ, the creator, the finisher, the author and finisher of the race. All things were made by him and for him. He is the word, the logos, that came, that God spoke into existence. He is God in the flesh. 
He is, he is the one that we, we, that we worship and we look to and we, we are empowered by. We need to understand the influence of Jesus Christ. The influence of Jesus is very powerful. And it goes both ways, this way or that way. And Paul says, we're treated like imposters. Who else do they treat like an imposter? Well, Jesus. He says, really? You? We don't know who you are. He says, well, we know who Abraham is, and we know who his parents were, but we don't even know who your parents are. Okay, so you say Joseph, but Joseph says, no, Mary, come on, we don't even know who you are. If you knew Abraham, you would know me. Because I know Abraham, he says. I, I, he, they claimed him as an imposter, yet he was true. As an unknown, you're a carpenter. You're the son of a carpenter. That's nothing. We're looking for King David. We're looking for a son of a king. You weren't even born in the palace. You were born in a, in a manger? That, that's, you know, how does that even make sense? Dying. Yes, he was killed. He's dead. Okay, they say he resurrected, but I think you guys stole his body and yet we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You see, Jesus said to them, after he told them the parable of the lost son and told them a few other parables, he says to them in Matthew chapter 21, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? That was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus says that that stone that you're rejecting right now, it's going to trip you up. In, in Acts, Stephen says, this Jesus is that stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. In Isaiah 53, because his influence was not a, an influence of a movie star or a king or a very famous person. But Isaiah prophesied that in 53. He says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This servant, this suffering servant, didn't have any beauty about him. He was just a regular guy. Didn't have a whole lot of charisma at first, but yet when the power of God just started to just flow through him, it just drew people to him, to him. And a lot of people, all they wanted was the things that he offered. They didn't want to make that commitment, the things that he had asked for. Give me your life. Now, just give us some more food. We'll take some more fish and chips, please. That's all we want. We want some healing. We want some, uh, some comfort. Please make us comfortable. God says, I'm not interested in your comfort. I'm interested in your character. Your character needs to be built up through this endurance. And the influence of Jesus Christ has a powerful influence or has a negative influence, has a positive influence or has a negative influence. And, and sometimes in this influence that Jesus Christ has that's been given to us, it'll rub, rub people the wrong way. And you know this. You've come across this. We've come across it all the time as Christians, as a church, as people. And all we can do is continue to move forward because we are co-laborers, co-workers with God. The last thing I want to share with you on how to understand this grace of God is I need to understand the power of the church. I need to understand the power of the church. The church, and as you well know, is not this building. 
We've, abbrevi we've abbreviated the church building by just saying church. And as often as I can, I try to make a distinction that I'm going to be at the church office, I'm going to be at the church building, I'll be on church grounds, I'll be at the church facility. Because as you know, you are the church. The church are the called out ones. Ecclesia is the word that is used to gather those that are called, the called out ones that are gathered together to hear the instruction of the Lord, to hear what Jesus Christ has to say. And it is you, you are the power, and you are the change agent in this world. Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Understand the power that you have. Understand that there, is no, there are no restrictions that are placed upon you except for self-made restrictions. We, we are in the midst of being restricted. We have been deemed unessential. We have been deemed as not powerful in this world. The things that are going to make us and get us through this world are the government, are the medical profession, and any other medicines or things that we can come up with. That's what's going to hold us together. Even though from the very beginning, and I'm not just talking about our current situation, but from the very beginning, science, intellect, everything changes. Nothing is constant. There was a time that everybody thought the world was flat. Did you know that there are still some people out there that believe the world is flat? I, I come across that here a few months ago. There's still a flat world people? Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how they, they, they do explain it, you know, but okay. But there's people that still believe it's flat. And at one time, that was just the norm. That was conventional wisdom. The world's flat. Don't go any far out there because you're going to fall off the edge. Oh, come to find out, wait a minute, science changed that a little bit. It's not flat, it's round. Well, the world is the center of the universe. Well, that's not true either anymore. It's, not the, you know, we're, it's the sun that is the center of the universe. Oh, wait a minute. It's not just the sun. There are a lot of suns. And it just, beloved, science changes. And we've seen that just within the last few months on how often science has changed. In politics, politics have changed. In our government leaders, they, they go from one side to the other. And I know that there is uh, one party that many of you really just want to base your whole, uh, everything on. I, I just want to put all my eggs in that one basket. You know, it, and like I've said before, politics, it's both wings are the wings of the same bird. Because politics in this world, regardless if it's in the United States, whether it's in Israel, whether, wherever it's at in the world, it's their agents, their things that God is using. The only politics, if you want to get into that, is the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there are no politics. God says, you're all equal. And in, that's the kingdom that we look to. That's the place where we look to. And, and Paul says this, you know, we have spoken freely to you. Our hearts are wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted in your own affections. You're restricted by what you're putting out on your own. You get affected by things, your, your, your love and your, and your concern for this world and your affections for others instead of on Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of the faith. You see, God is doing something beyond our comprehension. He's doing something beyond more than we can ever think or imagine. My problem is, and most of us, is, is that we think it's about us. We think it's about me. We think it's about what we're going through. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, of this gospel, he says, 
of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. God gave me that gospel. God gave you that gospel by the working of his own power. And then on your outlines, it says this, to me, though I am the very least of all saints. Now, this is very humbling of Paul to say that, you know, I, I'm really, I'm just the least. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm the lowest of the low. But he, he gave me this responsibility, this call to reconcile the world. He, gave me, he made me a new creation, me, the least of them all. And, and when you come to that understanding that it's not you, that you're the least, you're made of dirt. I am made of dirt. God made Adam and Eve of dirt. How can dirt tell God, hey, why don't we do it this way instead? I am a dirt man. I am made from dirt. I am mud. I am worthless. I am, but God, in his grace, has made me who I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. And Paul says, I'm the least of these. This grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God, from the very beginning, had this, this plan, and it was a mystery hidden for all ages. And then he says, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart for what your leaders are going through. Don't lose heart because of the things that you may have to go through. Don't lose heart because it is through the church that the manifold wisdom, the unfolding wisdom, this mystery that God has been hit, that kept hidden from the very beginning, it's being made known, not to us, not to you. We're part of that, but to the rulers, to the authorities of the, in the heavenly places. There is something going on behind the scenes, beloved, that we don't see. There's something going on back there that we have no concept of. And, and we know that from the beginning to the end, God has given us the plan. He's given us how it all started, and he gives us how it's all going to end. And we know this. It's here. And everything in between is what God is doing to get to that point. And he's using the church, not the building. He's using you to get this manifold, to unfold the manifold wisdom. You might be saying, well, I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I don't even know all the, what the Bible says. Well, you need to understand the grace of God. That you didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you. And because you didn't deserve it and he gave it to you, then I, I need to share it. But isn't God going to save who he wants to save? Yeah, he is. But he wants to use you, a core labor. He wants to use you to do that. But who do I, how do I know who, who is that supposed to be? You just talk to as many people as possible. And let God figure that out. My responsibility is to give glory to God and enjoy him forever. That's it. I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to focus on him and enjoy him. And in the process, talk to people around me. And yeah, the influence of Jesus, it'll be good for some and it'll be not good for others. I need to understand that. Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The household of God. 
What's the household of God? What's the church building? What, who is the household? The church. And Paul says this very keenly. He says to Timothy, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Church, beloved, called out ones, you are holding up the truth of the Word of God. This is why it is important to know what the Word of God says. This is why it's key to understand the Word of God. This is why I need to dive in to the Word of God. This is why I need to hold on to the Word of God. I've got to memorize the Word of God. I've got to meditate on the Word of God. I've got to study the Word of God. I've got to teach and preach the Word of God. I've got to take the Word of God and make it a big part of my life. This last week, we read out of Isaiah, uh, if you're following along with us in, uh, in our re- daily reading, there's some people that are following along with us, and they're, they're going along with us as we read the Bible through the year. And we were in Isaiah 53, I think, on Monday. And, and it's, it's so neat how, how Paul, he just happens to say, well, I, I know he doesn't do it by himself or God, but as we're reading throughout the year, verses come up that coincide with the reading of that day. And I'm just excited to see what's going to happen on the day that we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter, well, I think it's going to be chapter 10. Uh, and I forget when that's going to be. And how all of that is just going to come together. And it's, it's going to just make a lot of sense to, to those of you that are following along in the reading plan. And if you haven't uh, followed along, it's okay. You can start in the middle. You can start in Jeremiah. We're in Jeremiah right now. We're getting out of Jeremiah pretty soon. And, and uh, you can dive into Jeremiah and, and start there and then continue going with us and go back to the beginning. The fact of the matter is, and the point that I'm trying to make, if you just take 15 minutes a day, you can read through the whole Bible in a year. Some of you have your own reading plan that you've been doing. Some of you are reading out of the Psalms and Proverbs. Some of you, but the point is, get into the Word of God. Don't let just Sundays be your one day to get into the Word of God, because this is the truth. And you, church, are the building. You are the pillar and the buttress, that which is holding up. You are to be holding up this word of truth, the truth of God. Because everything else out there is not truth. It might contain a little bit of the truth, but it's not truth. This is the only truth in the world. It's a bold statement, and it's a a very uh, almost politically incorrect statement. Why only Jesus? Well, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. Not that he can point you to the way, but he is the only way. He is the truth. Not knows the truth, debates the truth, and he is the truth, and he is the life. And because of that, we come to understand and see the truth. You want to understand the grace of God, and you want to work out this grace of God? Well, we need to understand it, endure it, endure the life that we have, understand the influence that Jesus has, and understand the power of the church. Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, I know that the grace that you've given us, it is amazing. And it's amazing on so many different levels. And the grace that you've uh, just bestowed upon us, even though we weren't worthy, even though it's not something that we deserve, you've given us grace. And Lord, help us to share that grace with other people. Help others understand on how you, a loving God, a just God, a God that 
that demands justice has, has taken out that justice on Jesus Christ. And now you give it and you offer it to those that you have called. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to, to continue to seek out and work right alongside you, as Paul had said, that we become these co-workers with Paul and with others and with you, co-laborers, and work right alongside you to share this grace to a dying world. Father, we need to keep our eyes on you. Your church is the church that holds up the truth. And I pray, Father, that this body of believers here in northern San Bernardino can be a big part of holding up that truth in this area. So thank you, Lord. I pray that you continue to lead us in all things and help us to enjoy this day with one another and our family. Keep us safe. We know that there is a sickness out there, and I pray, God, that you keep us safe to be wise in our dealings with others. But, Lord, help us to focus more on you than anything else. You have called us to spread the good news, and you have called us to, to be good stewards of that good news. Being safe is just practicality in our own life. But whatever it takes, Lord, I pray that you use us to share this word. Thank you once again, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Amen.